This is episode 114 with Mark Bredner. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. As you know, I'm all about personal growth and development in every aspect of life. If you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know that I'm addicted to human behavior. And part of my mission is to help impact the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. That includes you. To help enhance and optimize your physical, mental, and emotional well-being, improving your whole quality of life. Yoga plays a big part in this, in my life and in many people's lives. Not really just the physical practice of it, but the deeper yoga philosophy that teaches us how to be ourselves in alignment, in congruence, in true authenticity, and to act in accordance. This episode explores some of these awesome yoga philosophies with one of the best in the yoga world, and you will learn some great perspectives and mindsets to bring into your life. Mark Bredner is the longest ongoing serving yoga educator in Australia with over 20 years of educating and personally training over 1,000 teachers through the whole science of yoga. He's worked and traveled with Olympic gold medalists and world champions as a personal yoga trainer in swimming and surfing. And currently, he also works with CEOs from some of the biggest companies in the world as a personal yoga trainer. Mark has dedicated his life to seeking and understanding the true yoga. He has spent much of his life in India at the feet of high-level teachers learning the science of yoga and how it can transform a human to their highest possibility. In this episode, we discuss self-governance and why you need to understand yourself at a deeper level, why you need to know who you need to be before you can ask, what do I need to do? What yoga truly means and how we can all benefit from it. The three main pillars of community, your practices and mentors. How a surfing accident left Mark with less vision, but a greater view of the world and life, why he has created a non-profit helping communities around the world and how you can be involved, and so much more that we cover about human behavior and what it means to live. Before we hear from Mark, I'm just going to read a quick iTunes review. This one is titled Genuine. It says, listen to your podcast with Nicola today. I loved that you generously gifted her your online soul-finding session, and then in brackets, sorry, I can't remember what you call it. That would be our mental strength training program, by the way. The review goes on to say, your podcast has been one of a few avenues where I've been doing my own soul searching, searching for my personal why, my fulfillment, and my why again. Is it family, work, connection, giving, peace, 
nature, love, and or the lot. Oh, yeah, balance. Hmm. Thanks, Robbo. You're doing good. <laughs> that was by Sabina on the Mountain from Australia. Thanks, Sabina on the Mountain. First of all, you legend for taking the time and effort to write the review and give the five-star rating. And thanks to everyone who has made this effort for those ratings and reviews. But just remember, Sabina on the Mountain, and this goes for everyone, your personal why will be varied in different key areas of your life. So everything that you mentioned there above, you should have a different why for each of those areas. Don't be fooled into thinking that you have one why or one purpose in life. But find your why in each of these different areas and work from that space each time and that's what will help keep that alignment, that congruence and that drive, that internal drive. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Mark Bredner. So Mark, what is the true meaning of yoga and what does it mean to you? Well, you know, as the yogis laid it out, the rishis, sages, gurus, you know, they got to this highest point of human evolution. And the idea of it was to kind of dissolve our personal identity, which is all bound in form, and come into this formless, this singularity type principle. I guess the easiest way to say it is to live a higher possibility. And that's how I kind of put it out to um, people to live a high performance life, to live a higher possibility. It changes in and changes depending on the audience that I'm speaking to. So based on that, though, it obviously comes from a core principle within you. So what does it mean to you to live that higher possibility? Well, I, I like to talk about it as becoming a soul yogi, like doing a total yoga transformation, because at the moment, a lot of the, the yoga, how it's communicated, has been commercialized and watered down just into a physical practice. And why it's a, re- it's a really viable part of the system, but it's only part of the system. And like anything, if you only do a part of the system, you don't get the goodies. So I like to talk about it as a total yoga transformation. So you transform your body, but you also transform your energy system, your emotions, and your mind. So you connect to a greater intelligence beyond that. So you start living from your heart. You're guided by that greater intelligence. There's deeper intimacy and connection in your life. It feels like there's a compass guiding your life. You know, you just start flowing with life. And you connect to unique gifts and talents. And, and the end point is going out and being of service, you know, leaving a legacy. Yes, which you're doing very strongly, which we'll talk a lot about. And with what you're talking about, is that the self-governance theory that comes into play with from these perspectives? Yeah, absolutely. You know, many of us, well, we all do, you know, we're all raised in a way that other people decide how we live our life, you know. So in the end, our life is governed by other people's rules and that varies dependent. But, you know, a lot of times we're told how to live by our parents, by religion, by our culture, by government, by marketers, by school, everything. And in the end, we feel no wonder it feels kind of unfulfilling and unsatisfying because we're living a life based on someone else's rules. And the whole principle of yoga and self-governance is coming back to what's authentic to you. You know, who you truly are, who you want to be, uh, how you want to be in the world, what you want to do, you know, how, what, what values you're aligned to, what feelings you're aligned to, you know, connecting to your gifts and talents and, and really 
just stepping it up and being authentic and really holding a position and taking it out into the world and making a difference through that. Through the work that you do, do you find that people really struggle to to come back inside and to tap into that self-governance and live from their values and discover what their gifts and their talents are and actually then, once discovered, do they then struggle to live in alignment with that? 100%. I mean, people are, are scared shitless of um, stepping up and living a bigger life. I mean, we've, we've been trained our whole life to fit into the mold. And a mold means just be the same as everybody else, you know. And we're constantly, as we try to step up and step bigger into a, a different space, we're constantly pulled back by everything because – it sort of makes everyone else feel comfortable. And if you step mm. out and you start to question the life that you've lived, that starts to question everyone else. And if they're not willing to look at it themselves, they're going to blame you. So pull you back. So there's so many forces attempting to bring us back into line. So, you know, there's this um, quote by Rumi, poet, um, Persian poet, that I really live by, and it says, forget safety, um, you know, live where you dare to live, uh, destroy your reputation and be notorious. And, and I love it and because you can't, if you don't take any risks, you can't expand, you know, and you have to come out of your comfort zone and it's scary, you know, you take a risk. And the destroying your reputation means letting go of the identity that you're bound to and be notorious, be in self-governance, live by your own rules. I mean, Notorious gets a bad rap because we always see it with gangsters and stuff like that. But I see the yogis as being notorious because, you know, they're creating their own path and, um, you know, living by their own, you know, self-governance and the way that they see the world. And, you know, there's also that saying, there's not much traffic past the extra mile. And I also live by that because... Not many people will do it, mm. you know, but if you do, if you do, the rewards are really big. So, what you're saying there is that you, you go that extra mile, you do that extra work, but at the same time, that extra work, I gather from what you're saying, is also about eliminating a lot of distractions, the distractions that are the energies and the forces, sorry, that pull people back into the, the norm, I say that in inverted commas, of society. Well, I like to say that you know, the whole yoga science is a process of subtraction rather than addition. Mm. We're not adding anything to your life. And as I kind of alluded to at the beginning, we don't, in the yoga science, we don't just have a physical body, but we have a subtle body, an energy body. We see that in Krillian photography and auras and stuff. We have an emotional body and a mental body. And when we all take actions, we all have energy, we all have emotions, we all have thoughts. We know this. And the process of yoga is just removing the interference in all those levels, removing the obstacles in all those levels so that they're all moving in one direction. When they move in one direction, then we start to create this clear channel to the bodies that are beyond that, which is our intelligence body, the bliss body and freedom. So that's the process. It's just getting rid of what no longer needs to be there. I love that, the the way that you put that. It's the elimination, not the addition. 
not addition. I always say to people that let's look at what you're doing and see how you can do it better. You're already sleeping. How can you sleep better? You're already moving. How can you move better? You're already breathing. Let's work at you breathing better. You're already eating. How can you eat better? It's just everything. How can we do it a little bit better? So I love that philosophy that you're doing there because when we talk about alignment, the biggest thing that I find working with people, and you must see it so often, is that it's just those simple little distractions like a telephone, like the news, like something like that that can just completely derail them. Absolutely. Well, you know, the it's kind of a dual-edged sword because, you know, the consciousness of the planet is speeding up and, you know, people slash students are, are looking for more. And they want more, but they're also smashed by more. Mm. They're on this treadmill and a lot of people are falling off. They can't keep up because they don't have practices or skills or tools to be able to manage this increase in consciousness. They're trying to keep up with so many more demands, you know, social media and work. And we're constantly plugged in. Like you said, we're constantly got a device. We're constantly bombarded by information. So if you don't have a practice, whatever the path is, um, you're in a lot of trouble. If you've got the path because it's speeding up, you can elevate really quickly. I think it's very different to the yogis. I think we've got a, a much – it's much easier for us now because the consciousness is vibrating at a higher level. The flip side is if you don't have a path or a teacher or tools, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. So this is why I'm trying to educate yoga teachers – to the full science of yoga because if you know that, you can really help people that are on that treadmill to, you know, kind of slow it down a little bit, you know, subtract a few things, open up, you know, remove the things that don't long, no longer serve you and, you know, do it a bit differently. How, how do you feel about yoga as as a practice the way it is predominantly in society now because i know you are one of the longest serving or the longest serving uh, yoga instructor yoga teacher in australia and you, you come from this the yoga philosophy not being molded by how it has sort of changed over time and i guess before you answer that question, so I practice yoga once to twice a week with the one-hour structure of going into a class and doing that, and I enjoy the challenge. I really love it. But what I love mostly, and I do, I'll do yoga moves throughout the day and amongst all my practices, but what I love when I go or speak to people like you or go into a class or speak to my yoga instructor friends is when they actually talk about not just the how to get into a position, but the why. So why we're doing that position or why uh, you breathe this way and linking in that aspect of it. And I feel like there's so much depth to the yoga philosophy that I would love to know a lot more about that I feel like that's the real gold of yoga that a lot of people are probably missing out on. Yeah, 100%. Just a little thing, you know, I'm, I'm the longest serving yoga educator in Australia, but not the longest teacher. I know that's out there somewhere, but I'm not just to clear that up. Okay. I'm, yeah, longest serving uh, yoga educator. Are you just trying to cover your age there, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still feeling like 25, you know. Good. I, age is wisdom. <laughs> I know, I know the, uh, the weather-beaten head from like surfing my whole life it doesn't reflect it so well, but you know, inside I feel good. <laughs> well, actually, when I was looking at your website, I was thinking, how could he be the longest serving? Look at the young whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, look, it's... Again, it's a funny question because 
on one level, we'd say yoga is all about inclusion, right? So that everything has its purpose, everything is in its place, everything is unfolding perfectly as an evolution of things. So when we look at yoga as primarily um, asana, and, you know, there's that kind of saying that, you know, you repeat a lie, you know, a, a lie for 10 years, you can destroy 100 years of truth. It's kind of what's happened with yoga. It's been turned into a physical practice with maybe a spiritual component. But the truth is, the true view is that it's a spiritual practice with a physical component. Mm. They've just flipped it, right? Because people can relate to the body. It's an entry point into it. But also you can commercialize the body. You can turn it into, you know, fitness systems. You can create gimmicks and all that sort of stuff. So that's the other side of it. In a lot of ways, it's kind of become a bit of a joke. And one of the problems is that because it's just been turned into a physical practice, I mean, the next trend to come is hit yoga. It's big in the States and it'll be here soon. So it's a combination of doing hot, sweaty, high-intensity yoga in between slow stretches in between, right? And right. so, like, it gets the tick of marketing, it gets the tick of business, it gets the tick of, like, the current trends – but yoga, no, you know, it's just going off the off the popularity of it. And mm. and I understand from a business perspective, people want to make money, um, but also they're they're bastardizing the whole thing. Mm. So, you know, inclusion it's part of it. And I think as more and more people do that, it comes full circle into okay, well, what else is there? What, what more is there? And I think that's starting to happen, which is just evolution. And what about meditation and the link to that and yoga? If you're talking about the, the spiritual aspects, meditation obviously has to play a big part, linking the mind into the yoga philosophies. Yeah. Well, you know, the Yoga Sutras is one of the most popular texts that gets referenced in yoga. And then the, it's 196 sutras. And the, the second sutra, like 1.2, it's four books, Says yoga ha chitta vritti narodaha and yoga ha yoga chitta is our field of awareness. Um, vritti means all the movements of mind, our monkey mind, our chattering mind that we can all relate to, and narodaha means mastery. So it it means that yoga occurs when our consciousness is free of mental activity, mm. and when our consciousness mm. is free of mental activity, then we're in the now. Mm. So there's a lot of People like Eckhart Tolle, yep. who who make a whole living profession out of the power of now. Mm -hmm. But that's what yoga is. The very first sutra says, now is the teaching of yoga. And and that's often un misunderstood because they say, oh, now we're going to learn the real yoga. But they're actually saying, actually, now, in the now, is actually the teaching of yoga. And it happens when our consciousness is free of mental activity. So meditation is is the absolute what yoga is. Everything mm. else is leading us in that direction. So, but if you have a body that's imbalanced, it's got pain, it's tired, it's locked up, you've got illness, you've got injury, then it's very hard to sit quietly and let your mind be still. So you've got to prepare your body for the meditation. You've got to prepare your energy system for the meditation. You've got to prepare your breath. You've got to prepare your senses so that you can sit and be still those other levels cease to become an obstacle and you can just sit in the no thing. Mm. Creating nothing. that space. Yeah. Mm. In some ways, it, 
my job's the easiest thing in the world, teach people to do nothing. <laughs> the <laughs> easiest it, and the hardest. <laughs> absolutely the hardest because when we are no good at it and because of this modern world, we're getting worse and worse because our minds are constantly racing because of the bombardment of information. Mm, absolutely. I kind of, in from a really basic sense, when people ask, well, what is meditation or why is it good? I, I try to come back to that philosophy around how it creates space, you know, space between your thoughts and space in your mind. And I say, you know, when you create space in your life, like you go for a holiday and you forget about work or with the business people I work with, those big businesses that were really, really stressful, you got rid of that, you created space in your life and you feel different, you feel more in tune with yourself, you feel more um, connected when you have created that space. Imagine if you could do that all the time throughout the day, creating that feeling of space, awareness and connectedness in your life. But what you're actually doing is creating energetic shifts and hormonal changes and uh, physiological changes because as a human, that's what you are. (laughs) <laughs> so, you, you know, tapping in meditation is just one of those powerful tools to help you align and connect and, and be physiologically more adapted to how you should be operating as a human. Yeah. And, you know, the, the common yoga that's taught out there, the Hatha yoga, that is the physical practices and the breathing practices. And it's the idea to make your, you know, to optimize your body and upgrade and activate your energies. The end point of that is Raja Yoga, which is then to rein in your senses and still the mind. And then you connect to this greater intelligence. And then what that's called is Tantra. And Tantra is broken into two words, Tanati and Trayati. Tanati means to uh, expand, to stretch our limits. And Trayati means to liberation. So the whole idea of what we're trying to do is to stretch ourselves, to stretch our limits, to unbind ourselves, to disentangle ourselves and open up Mm. into a larger and larger and larger possibility so that we are able to live in the now so that as life meets us, we're able to say yes to life. We don't resist it. We simply meet it in the now and respond to life as it arises. It's life meeting life. That's that's Tantra. And, And meditation helps us to get still enough to allow that greater intelligence to come through so that we can simply meet life as it arises as you were saying those words and that detachment and that detanglement i was thinking there'd be so many people living life and listening to this thinking oh wow i wish i could achieve that look there's um brett there's lots of paths to do it you know like all the the great philosophies and schools had that same end objective of unification of individual self with universal self and it's more it's just about finding a path that you resonate with that you're aligned to the other big thing where we all fall down is you got to do it it's Mm. consistent it's consistent practice and we also say that yeah taking action we say that you need three things you need uh sangha which in yoga means um good company your community that support you in living a, a higher possibility that like you being bigger, mm. that you have the right practices and that you have mentors or teachers that have gone before you that know the pathway mm. because it's very hard to do out of a book or a video or anything like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And something that you mentioned there before around energy, 
one of the most important aspects for people to learn about themselves, I believe one of the most important, is to generate and master their energy and their energetic conditions. We don't have energy. We, we create energy. What's your philosophy around people being able to generate and master their energy? Well, I would take it another level and say that's all that we are. We are energy. Like science tells us this, quantum science tells us, and that it's just energy moving from one place to another. It's just a different pitch and frequency. So this computer is made of energy. You and I are made of the same energy as that computer. What we call the divine or God is made of the same energy. It's just moving from one place to another at a different pitch and frequency. So in yoga, we would say we want to learn to become more subtle human beings so that we become more divine. You know, we, we vibrate at a higher pitch and frequency. And when you do that, everything else that's resonating at that level will start to come into your sphere of perception. So life can look very different very quickly. Like nothing's changed. It's just a different, it's the same things. All the levels are still there. It's just that when your frequency is higher, that's what you resonate with. That's what you begin to perceive. And the other thing about it is science would also say we're made up of atoms, right? Very clearly we all understand that. But atoms are 99.9% empty. Hmm. So we're exactly the same. We don't understand this concept that the physical is hardly even exists at all. It's just space. It's just emptiness. And what we do with our beliefs and attitudes and patterns and conditioning is we bind that energy and we bind it into form and then we identify with it, we get entangled with it and we think that's who we are. Mm. And it causes all our suffering because we try to hold it static in place. But form is always changing. It's impermanent. It shifts. And if you're placing, aligning your happiness to something that's impermanent, whoops, Mm. (laughs) big trouble. So, again, we come back to that principle of Tantra, being able to just meet life as as it arises. Absolutely. Mate, we've been uh, chatting for quite a while already. But before we just unpack your journey a little bit more, I want to say, Mark, welcome to your life of impact. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great to, to be chatting with you. We've been connected by a mutual friend, Kel Schwantz, who I believe has done some of your yoga training and retreats. And I'm super grateful for this connection. And she's one of those yoga friends that I was telling you about that I love talking to and hearing and seeing these philosophies play out in real life. Yeah, yeah. Lots of love to Kel. <laughs> she's great. And, I, and, and I'm glad she... she uh, linked us together absolutely now mark although you are australia's longest what is it serving yoga educator yoga educator and you've essentially got your shit sorted in many areas of life (laughs) life (laughs) making mirrors (laughs) (laughs) life has certainly by the sounds of things presented some big challenges for you i uh I've, i've done a bit of research and i believe you struggled with some You experienced chronic fatigue in your early 20s and even experienced a pretty rare surfing accident. Tell us, discuss these kind of moments in your life and what your go-to strategies and mindsets were to to see you through these challenges. You know, well, you know, I was fortunate enough to start yoga when I was five. You know, my mum was one of the first teachers in Australia and she, you know, I I was just drawn to it and um, it was amazing. She taught a really 
powerful system of yoga, which I didn't see the value of then, but I do now. And then, you know, I, went, I taught with her to about 13. And then, you know, we had our particular, um, you know, variation of dysfunction in our family. And, you know, from those teenage years, I was just pissed off with life. You know, I was just angry and, you know, everything could just fuck off, you know, and I just, I was lost and I was empty and I didn't know what to do. So I was kind of self-medicating, partying, you know, alcohol, party drugs, all that sort of stuff. But I was also competing in um, triathlon semi-professionally. I was training five hours a day and then, you know, I was burning the candle at both ends and just burnt out. And so that laid me on my back and it turned my life, you know, upside down. And although I was teaching yoga from 18, it was mostly just physical practice and then you know, I started asking all those big questions in life, you know, who am I? What am I here for? How do we achieve balance? So I kind of packed my bags and I went to India. And so I traipsed around India for decades coming backwards and forwards. And, you know, I was seeing these these people, men and women, these yogis that were just happy for no reason. And they were just joyous. They had heaps of energy. They were creating ashrams, schools, hospitals, feeding thousands of people. Didn't even look like they were doing anything. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's it. That's that's the yoga. How do I how do I learn this? So I just kind of pestered them for backwards and forwards for you know decades, <laughs> trying to learn that sort of stuff and and come back to that essence of those questions of. Who am I? What am I here for? How do I achieve balance? And you know, I've been progressively moving in that direction. Um, the surfing accident was, you know, I've had a lot of um, surfing injuries over the years because, you know, the guys that I grew up with, we, we grew up in the reefs around Cronulla and they're quite world class, you know, and they're quite dangerous and, you know, lots of stitches. I think I'm up to like 190 stitches at the moment and <laughs> broken <laughs> broken uh you know uh shoulder um this that particular one uh, yeah i had the board spear through my eye and it smashed my cheekbone and my my eye socket went through to my brain it paralyzed the left side of my face and um yeah i actually had the near-death experience i went down the wide tunnel everything all that thing that they talk about it was kind of kind of wild and then um how much of that do you do you remember of that in that moment in that time? I remember um, it being very peaceful. I remember that kind of um, like vacuum. I guess you'd call it white. It's like a vacuum. It's sort of you're just in emptiness in space, and uh, it felt very light, no problems, just. It's hard to describe, you know. It's like trying to describe chocolate when you never, never tasted it. It's, was this it was in very... in hospital or was this on the beach when they sort of pulled you to it? When, when did you feel that feeling? It was in the water, so you know, it was a big day. It was sort of eight foot out Cronulla Point, and I I just pulled into a barrel backhand and I flipped onto my back, and then the the tail came around with the lip and speared through. Mm. So it felt like an axe went through my head and I, and I went out. So that's when I went out and I was under the water for a while. I don't know how long. It's hard to tell, but probably not too long. And then I just remember going, no, not now, not now, not now. Don't don't pass out. And I just remember getting sucked back and it all went kind of red. And then it was like, ah, ouch. Right. 
and then I called out for help. I couldn't see. It was all – I couldn't see it all. And then a couple of boys came over and, you know, <laughs> they turned grey, but, but they sort of were like, ah, oh, it's just a scratch. You'll be fine. And then we are out in the third reef. We had to paddle in. It was, it was a kind of big paddle. It took 20 minutes to paddle in. And they drove me up to the hospital. I just remember – get a camera, get a camera. <laughs> at the time, they had Gash of the Month in Tracks magazine. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to get a photo so I could get Gash of the Month. <laughs> did, they, did they get a photo? Yeah, they did. Did you get Gash of the Month? I did. Hey, well done. <laughs> so, Gash of the Month has turned so into that's a, that's the scar of the lifetime. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I'm looking at it for everyone listening now. Mark's showing me on Skype, so I'm getting a good look at it. Wow. <laughs> There you go. So you've got no eyeball in there. No eyeball. It's completely removed. I did removed. have a prosthesis, but I kept losing it, so I just got rid of it, you know? Right. Yeah, and I got a plate here, and I got a plate in the eye socket, and then this nerve was cut, so this side of the face doesn't function the same as the other. It's better. It's slowly coming back, very slowly, but it didn't kind of, it didn't kind of move <laughs> to start with. How much of that accident back then how old were you i was 39 i think how much of that what was your mindset around that did you look at that as a challenge and a a, you know a why me or was it was it just part and parcel or you believe that it was happened to you for a reason I, i believe everything is in order and for a reason and i'll tell you my my mum came to the hospital and she's freaking out as mums do i had a couple of five hour surgeries and stuff and microsurgery and she was like, oh, you poor thing, your eye, you know, my poor baby and all that sort of stuff. And she said it really impacted her. She told me years down the track, I just kind of went over and said, it's cool, mum, I got another one, no problem, you know. And, and I don't know if it's my yoga practice or the understanding of impermanence or whatever, but I truly it didn't miss a beat. I was like, yeah, whatever. Brilliant. It's all right. I can still see. I can still do what I do I still surf and didn't really change anything? Does it challenge your balance in in the physical yoga practice? It, well, it, it challenged not not in the physical uh, yoga practice, but in surfing because you use that you lose that bifocal mm. point. And but we're we're so amazing because the brain just finds a new pathway. It says, okay, well, you can't do it this way anymore, so we'll find a new way to do it. So I think the boys gave me about a two week you know, kind of parcel where they let me have every wave that I wanted. <laughs> wanted. And then after that, it was like, you know, all bets off. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't tell the curve of the wave, so I'd go to hit the lip and there was no lip and I'd go to take off and I'd go to stand up and it would just empty out and I couldn't mm. tell. But then you just start, you know, working it all out. Well, it obviously hasn't deterred you from the surf then because I've heard you say that you get towed into waves too, so you like surfing the big waves. I do. I do. It's um, much less these days um, with busyness of life, but yeah, I'm, I'm, we've still got our jet ski and we we try to get out there when we can. Good on you. Now, speaking of, well, I'm not going to say busyness of life. I like to say productive instead of busy, and I know you're a very productive human. I speak a lot on this podcast about the fact that I'm extremely grateful to have had and still have abundant, strong female mentors in my life. And when I was doing the research for this chat today, I was really drawn into the Rise as One project that you've created. So can you tell us what this is all about and why you started it? Okay. So Rise as One was, in the simplest terms, about giving back and to take yoga teachers to 
a bit of a higher practice of, you know, saver, which means to, um, you know, support a higher possibility and, and, and give back to others and be of service. And the way that we did it is we, we connect with different communities around the world and who are, you know, NGOs, usually with a branch in Australia because we, we still run as a business and we go through their non-profit branch. And then we take six to eight yogis, they apply for the position, then they raise money, around five grand each. That money goes to the community. So how that money is used depends on the needs of the community. So the first one was in um, Nagpur in the slums of India for the Bodhicitta Foundation, and that was supporting um, girls and, and young women to have you know, a safe environment and to advance their studies and, and um, you know, get job skills. Um, yeah, and, and also it was, it's about you know, supporting the, the kids in the community in the slums there. So um, people can still look at that one. You go to bodachitafoundation.com and you can pay $40 a month and that just supports you know, a child to um, school and food and you know, basic necessities. The next project's in Bali and that's about higher education. It's in North Bali, which I have a close relationship to. Um, a lot of the community there was really well educated, but as all the tourism built up on the other side, a lot of the, the kids would leave and, and go and get into the tourism industry. So we're just supporting them to be able to move into their higher education on three different levels. The kids that show potential there that, but don't have the means um, other kids that are disabled and just don't get the opportunity really. And then um, at a level of, of younger kids, taking them through education, that's more, I guess, the arts. So we give them um, four years, follow up on their education. And then what the six to eight people that are selected do is they have an ongoing agreement to mentor one or a number of those um, selected people over two years oh, so brilliant. so we keep it going rather than just kind of go in have an experience and go they have a, a commitment to keep mentoring them for two years which usually ends up being a lot longer than that because you develop that heart connection to their family and to the to the kids and we see continue on Brilliant. And that's obviously linking in with those three things that you mentioned before around community, around teacher slash mentor, and then obviously the practices as well. Because if you're sending yoga instructors in and they're obviously going to teach part of those practices to the communities that they're working with in an aligned way. Yeah, well, where we go to, they come for two weeks. So two weeks in India, there'll be two weeks in Bali. So the first week is they go through what I call dream wild process. So in the dream wild, I help them through a yoga model um, create their own vision of how they can be of service in the world. So they might create a new pathway um, to be able to do that. And then depending on the community, we invite and their English skills, we invite them to be part of that first week. So in India, no, because um, their English wasn't strong enough and they were younger, but in Bali, Yes, some of the kids, university-level kids, will be participating in that dream world. And they'll also brain 
storm for us about the best way to impact their communities, you know, the best way to serve the community. Mm. And then the second week is they immerse in the community. So we go into their community, have meals with their families, go and do yoga, just connect in so there's a there's a sort of a real connection in there. And yeah, and that and again it varies a lot depending on, you know, who we're with and where we're at. Our next ones that are lining up are in Tanzania and Nepal, but Bali's the next one. So for obviously it's a small group of people that pre apply and get accepted in to go on those trips, but for other people listening, is there ways that we can jump on? You said before that forty dollars a month can support the the one in India. Will it be the same for the, the Balinese one for people if they want to have a contribution? I think it's different, but we you know, like Christina and I, my partner, Christina, we we don't take any profits from this. We just do it ourselves. And so we um, always need teams of volunteers because there's, mm. there's lots of tasks to do um, as part of the project. And they vary greatly. But we, do, we will be putting that out soon. And we're always looking for um, sponsors and, you know, s- stuff like that. Brilliant. And that's on the rise as one website yeah rises one website which is not up to date at the moment um but it will be shortly we're just fine-tuning all the last little dot the i's and crosses the t's for the barley project um but that's definitely um going ahead in june 220 nice they, they start they start their higher educations in july beautiful now mark there's a few questions that i ask all my guests on this show and one of them is usually about self-care, but I think it's pretty evident that a lot of your self-care comes in the form of yoga and meditation and breath work and surfing. But so I wanted to sort of ask them, well, what we haven't covered is around what's your self-care look like or your beliefs around nutrition to help you live an abundant life? Uh, my, well, my diet's a vegan diet and I, I don't really do it for the animal welfare, although at the same time, you know, the cruelty to animals and, and the way a lot of the, the meat is produced, um, produced is pretty horrific. Um, I do it for more health re- reasons, more for um, anti-inflammatory type diet. You know, that's, I, I just feel like I function best like that. And I and I like plant protein. You know, I exercise quite a lot, so I like to get my protein. But I like the the plant protein. I don't eat much sugar. I don't eat much, much junk food. It's pretty much you know, fruit, veg, grain type stuff. Clean eating. It's it's good. You got to know what works for you. That's what you said. You feel healthiest and best on that, and that's what's most important. Yeah. What do you wish? people would ask you more often or speak to you about more often well you know in the yoga circles i would like people to talk more about you know the higher aspects of yoga you know about transformation and not just transforming the body but transforming their whole life like how they can do that i'd like them to talk to me about what i call the hidden practices you know these practices Mm. that that raise consciousness and i say hidden but they're not really hidden. They're hidden in plain sight. It's just that no one pays attention to them, and uh, they can really, they can really change your life, you know, very, very quickly. I mean, most people will say to me, 
oh, I can't do yoga. Look, I can't touch my toes. <laughs> and, you know, that's just such a common thing. But, you know, I would, yeah, yeah, I just, it's coming. I just like to have this conversation about this beautiful gift that the, that the yogis gave to us. I mean, mm. they dedicated their whole lives sitting in caves and, and jungles for 12, 15 years, you know, with, you know, big austerities and incredible discipline to get this highest level of human evolution. And, and they made it available to us. They wrote it down in text. So I'd like people to ask, you know, what, what are these teachings? Mm. We'd have to have a whole new episode, I think, and say, what are these teachings, Mark? And just let you elaborate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happy to do that. You might be able to stop me. <laughs> so what do you believe is good action for people to take to be more impactful in their lives and in their communities? Uh, I think it all comes back to self-governance. Mm. Like, you have to live in alignment with who you want to be. There's... There's a guy I just saw on YouTube not so long ago, and he's a wisdom keeper. He's from um, South America, and he's traveling around the world. And it's about the environment, and he's saying, you know, like we're, we're, at, a, we're at a precipice, and we need to take action, and we t- need to take it right now. And a lot of people would ask him, you know, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And he said there's a question before that, and the question before that is you need to ask yourself what you can be. Because when you know what you can be, then you can know what you can do, right? So that is, um, I think it's really important. That's what self-governance is about. It's coming back into, you know, who you can be in the world, mm. you know, what you can be and aligning yourself to that. And we would call that in yoga your dharma. Your dharma is your path. And then your karma is the actions you take in the world. Most people are bound up in their actions, their karma dragging and pulling and pushing them all around the place so that their path is not determined by them. They're just dragged around by their their actions, their karma. Mm. We say, let's get clear. Who do you want to be? What are your values? How do you want to feel? What are your gifts and talents? How can you be of service? And let that inform the choices you make on the outside. So let your actions be determined by being in alignment with that particular dharma. Yeah. So dharma Mm. before karma. Or Dharma before drama. (laughs) Dharma before drama. I like that. (laughs) Brilliant. And two-part question here. Where can the listeners learn more about you? So are you on social media? I know that you've got a website. And then how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Uh, Yeah, I have all my social media stuff. So, yeah, so you can just go to Mm yogacoach.com and all the links to the social media stuff is on there cool you know if you're interested in yoga education as a teacher or just to deepen your awareness we do different we do meditation teacher training we do the dream wild training like setting your vision that we've been talking about Mm. we do one one week retreats we have one meditation training sold out but we have five spots on the dream wild retreat in bali in end of march Mm -hmm. and then my stuff is all about yoga education so and I'm transitioning a lot of it online um, with just a two-week meetup in Bali each year called the Yo Coach Summit, which gives you your face-to-face hours. Um, and then we have this incredible platform that I've built for a long time now, about to launch, <coughs> where all of it's online and you get you know, 10 to 12 
hours of live coaching each week from different experts over 20 weeks. You get the 20 weeks for the platform. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's the best place to look, yo, coach, and that'll take you in the most, link you to most of everything else. Brilliant. Easy enough. I'll link that up into the show notes too that will go out with this episode. Now, one of my top core values, I'm a very values-aligned person. You've been speaking about it a lot. And one of my top core values is giving. I give all my guests a gift for giving their time and value on the podcast. So, Mark, we've got a line of charity teas called Life Teas that we've created. So, my yep. gift to you is one of those teas. So, I'm going to send you one of those in the post, mate. Awesome. Thank you. To say thank you for your, for your time and effort. Now, before I do let you go... Is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners or is there anything you would like to ask me? No, I just, like in my heart's heart, I just really feel it's important that people find their own voice, whichever way they do it, you know, find their own voice, um, come into that self-governance because like every difficult experience that we've had in life, if you've come through that, you've learned a lesson and that lesson is a gift. And we might not notice it, but if you throw all those gifts in a tool bag, then it's no accident that they happen. Those gifts are for you to share and there's people waiting for them. So get your act together, speed it up, take it on board and get out there and be of service. (laughs) There's people waiting for you. I love it. Mark, you're a legend. Your authenticity and spirituality align in a very empowering way and your legacy is ringing true to this. Keep shining your yogic, impactful light to the world, my man. (laughs) Thank you, Brett. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it and I look forward to keep connecting. There you go, guys. A truly connected and humble dude that's tapping into his wisdom and purpose in a very impactful way. Make sure you check out Mark's websites to stay up to date with everything he has to offer at yogacoach.com and that links to all of his other websites and information seamlessly from there including the info about the beautiful rise as one project that he's created you can also find mark on instagram at mark.bredner and i've linked all this in the show notes for your ease of reference and as always remember this is your life journey your life of impact